This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Hey! Thank you, bus people. Although the bus people sitting out there and they're happy because we don't have any rain tonight. We missed last week because of a storm going through and knocked out electricity. And yeah, but the temperature was 101, and the stupid feels like temperature like 150. No, I know it's ridiculous. Uh, it is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I say that every week. Why don't you just tell us the temperature is 150? Don't tell me it's 93, you know, 100% humidity. It's 120. Just tell me yeah, it's 120. Say, it feels like 120. Drink lots of fluid. You know, I mean, that's, yes. you know, that's, it makes more sense yeah. to me that way. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, we have a guest tonight. Michael Evans, who is the CEO and co-founder of The Vines. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this because he started himself a, a club that is really quite unique. Yeah. So without further ado, and he's sitting there in the, in the green room, I'm going to bring him out and uh, into the show here. And welcome to the show, Michael. Glad to have you with us. Thanks a lot. Glad to be here. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I just assumed it was you. I <laughs> you were you were sitting there, so I assumed it was you. Uh, you know, I just you heard me say that. You know, it's uh, the vines. It sounds I've read some information about that, and that is really a, a cool concept. A cool of uh, everything. I was really impressed with all the stuff that this you've done with that, and so. Instead of me just sitting here telling you how great it is, I'm going to let you tell us all about the vines and how you tend to find it and everything. Uh, I'll just let you take over and start talking about it all now. So it, it's all yours. Great. Well, the vines is a, um, a membership club that um, travels around to different wine regions, and we work with our winemaking partners around the world to make wine. And we are, our, our members are folks that, that love wine, they're passionate about wine, they've been drinking wine for a long time, many of them are, are collectors. And this gives them an opportunity to go a bit deeper and dive in with our, our partners. And right now we've got um, partners in, in Napa, in Oregon, in Paso Robles, in Champagne, in Montalcino, the Mosul, and Champagne, and, um, and Priorat. And so basically what we give uh, folks the opportunity to do is that we travel to one of these regions. We were last in 
in Montalcino for, for three or four days, and we spent time making our own blends with Giacomo Neri from Casanova de Neri, one of the greatest bakers of Brunello in the world. And he and his, and his sons um, walked us through the process of tasting base wines and then working with each of us to create an own, our own wine that reflects our individual tastes, all with Sangiovese, of course, for the Brunello. Um, and then we put them back in the barrels, and eventually, um, a year and a half later, they were bottled and labeled with each of our own individual labels, and they get shipped out to our members' uh, our members' homes. And so that's a uh, the, the the kind of the crown jewel of what we do are these these blending experiences and these op- the opportunity for people to actually make their own blends, their own wines with these master winemakers around the world. But also when we go to a place like Tuscany, it's also about the group of people, the amazing members that we have that get together from all walks of life and spend a few days together. Um, we also like to show people the, the insiders Tuscany or the insiders Champagne and going to not the typical restaurants that you see in every guidebook, but the place that Giacomo and Roberto and, and the other, our friends in, in Tuscany go with their families. And so you get a, a much more of a kind of an insider's look at what's going on in, in one of these regions. Exciting. Uh, okay. Now a bunch of questions. Number one, you said that your members make the wine and they take it home with them, or they can share it with other members. Those are unique blends, I would think, right? I mean, those are just their own, oh, I like this, let, let me make this. It's not something that's going to be available to anybody anywhere except just for those people. That's correct, and we work with um, entire barrel lots, so people will typically go in and have four or five different base wines, and then based on the our preferences among those base wines, we'll, we'll blend them together in, in different proportions, and each each member will end up with their own specific uh, blend, and and at the end of the day, end up with 25 cases of their of their own wine that's unique in the world. Wow, <laughs> that's great. Uh, so, well, let's let's go back to to the roots, to the beginning. How did you? Uh, well, where are you from originally, and how did you start this venture? I grew up in, in Washington, D.C., and I had the uh, good fortune to go to Argentina for what I thought was going to be a three-week vacation. Um, that was um, 16 years ago, and basically I never left. Um, I fell in love with um, Argentina and Mendoza. It is just a, a beautiful place. The people are wonderful. The wines are spectacular and very well-priced, um, and it just felt like, a um, like Napa, not 10 or 20 years ago, but 50 or 60 years ago, mm-hmm. and it was clear to me that that something was gonna was gonna happen down there. And and for me, my original idea, I was gonna buy five or 10 acres of land and have my my now business partner um, Pablo and his family, who's been making wine and growing grapes for generations, have them take care of it, and I would go back to the states and then return to Argentina each year to to blend and make the wine. And as soon as I started talking to my friends back in the States, I said, well, if you're going to do five or ten acres, I want to as well. And then so the light bulb went off and said a lot of people out there have this dream of, of, making, of making their own wine and owning, and owning a small vineyard, but without, that may not have the financial resources to invest millions of dollars or just want to do it as something that's um, entertaining and not become a, uh, a financial kind of business operation. And so we started in, in 2005. I'm looking for land. We looked at 76 different pieces of property before we finally found the one we, we fell in love with. 
Um, we planted our, our grapes in, in 2007, which were ready to harvest first in 2010. So we built a winery so we could elaborate the, the wines for our, our, mem for our, our owners. Um, then a few years later, as, as we grew and we had more than 100 um, owners from around the world at that point, we needed a place for them to stay. So we built a, a five-star resort in the shadow of the Andes. Um, <laughs> Francis Malman, the, the very famous uh, Argentine chef, it, it was our, our chef. Um, and long story short, 16 years later, um, now we have uh, 254 um, vineyard owners that each own between one and 20 acres uh, in the shadow of the Andes, and they're making some phenomenal wines. Last year, we made 365 different wines with these uh, owners just in Mendoza. Wow. I, I, that's just amazing. That just astonishes me. Why has no one ever thought of this idea of this concept before? It just it seems so so simple, but yet... Really fascinating. Uh, so you said that. Well, in many ways, it's. I mean, many oh. ways, it, it's not. I mean, it, it's it's very similar to what's been happening in uh, in Burgundy for hundreds of years. You know, most you know people have a row or two, and they don't all own a tractor. Or back then, they didn't all own a, a horse. They would they would share, and it would be a, a co-op kind of um, model mm -hmm. for people to be able to do it. And so, you know, take, taking some, some cues from there, and also part of it's financial. In, in Mendoza, the cost of an acre is um, a, a fraction of what it would be in, in Napa or, or Montalcino or Champagne or something. So that made it a little more uh, economically possible as well. Yeah, well, that, that would make sense. Now, I noticed on your list here, you said winemaking partners. We've got uh, Italy's. Germany, Spain, Argentina, California, France, Willamette uh, Valley in the United States. The, you, are these vineyards in these places, or are they people who have interest in the one in uh, Mendoza? What is the uh, connection here? So in, in Mendoza, in the vines of Mendoza, our owners actually own a piece of land, anywhere between 1 and, and 20 acres. So that's their land that we farm on their behalf, and then we make wines with them when, they, when it comes time to harvest. And our expansion, so one of the things we realized, like, like, like wine lovers, like I'm sure for you, we're always looking for a new wine, a new region, something, try something new, try something different. And we've been looking around for, for many years to see how, how could we go and make wine in other parts of the world. And what we realized is there's a lot of phenomenal winemakers all over the world that are making wine, and many of them are interested in sharing their wine, their passion. And so mm -hmm. partnering with people like Giacomo Neri in Montalcino or uh, Michelle and Charlene Drapier in Champagne, uh, Jeff and Tony uh, at Hourglass in, in Napa, very, very high-end, very famous wineries, and they love the ability to work with our members on creating their own blends. They get surprised sometimes with some of the ideas. They're, in, they're, they're kicking around in the, in the winery with these, these passionate people because what you end up with are people who are, 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 are fans of these wines and fans of these regions and very passionate about it, very knowledgeable. So for, for these winemakers when, who spend most of their time you know, in the winery and, and in the vineyards making their wine, for them to spend some time with these, these really passionate people and, and educated people about wine and that want to learn from them is, is, a real, uh, is, a, is a real joy for them. No, that would make sense. I mean, it's, it's a win-win, I guess, on that because the people will help the winemakers with ideas that they might not come up with themselves. So that's an interesting concept. Now, the, uh, okay, how did you get a hold of 
all these different regions and all these different people. I mean, obviously, you just said you your passion was Mendoza in in, in Argentina. Uh, these are places all over the world. What what attracted you to each one, or did they contact you, or what happened on this? No, we, we, we seek them out. I mean, these are, these are regions that, um, that, that we uh, and our, among our, our, our members um, think are, um, are important. I mean, it's kind of a mix of, of traditional blue chip places like Champagne and Montalcino and Napa, but also some more emerging markets um, or, or, or not, not under the radar, but kind of places that are um, a, a little more creative, less traditional like um, Priorat here in Spain or Paso Robles in, in California or even, or even Mendoza. And so we basically reached out to uh, regions and, and winemakers that we, um, that we appreciate. Um, we look for people who are um, farm sustainably, organically, lots of times biodynamically, um, people that respect the, the land, um, people that create phenomenal wines and are, and are great people to be around. And, and we've spent basically over the last 16 years while we've developed the business in, in Argentina, traveling around and meeting people. And we, I think we developed a, a good reputation on, on what we built in, in Mendoza. And, and people took our calls and, and we sat down and, and had some lunch and had some wine with people. And, and um, once we explained the concept, I think it was a, um, people really got excited about it. And, and of course, it, it led one after another. I mean, when you get people very famous people like um, Giacomo Neri from Casanova de Neri or the, the Drapier from, from Champagne uh, Drapier, um, that makes it easy. It gives you a, a calling card when you've got, uh, when you've got great winemakers already uh, in, the, in the program. Yeah, well, that would make, yeah, yeah, you name dropping. And they go, oh, yeah, I know them. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, are you looking and at it's a relatively doing... small community. I'm sorry? It's a relatively small. It's a relatively small community. I mean, people people know each other, and, and even if they're in a different a different region or different country or different continent, um, you know, the good winemakers know um, know and drink um, wine from from different parts of the world. And also, people in in the wine business are very open and, and willing to uh, share and. Uh, talk about what they do too. I've noticed that over the years doing this program, and even when I was had um, a small winery here in Florida, people are always willing to help others and refer to it and all that. So that's always a good thing, I think. Um, the uh, are you looking for other areas, other winemaking partners? Are you going to stop it at this? Are you just going to get bigger and bigger? What? Uh, What's your future? Hope? Well, we're not going to. I mean, we're going to continue to to expand. We're always looking for the right the right partner. We're not in any hurry. We've got plenty of places to to make wine. But um, each year we um, we go and and we meet with some new winer makers and 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 check out some new regions. This year we'll be um, looking in in uh, the country of Georgia. We'll be going to uh, to Croatia. We spent some time last year in in Piemonte in in Burgundy. Um, New Zealand, so we're we're definitely looking for for new partners. The Rhone is is high on our list um, in France, um, so we're we're always keeping our, our our eyes open for for new opportunities. Yeah, there's there's a lot of regions around the world. Some of them you just mentioned there that I think would fit well into the into your program. Uh, the I, I was going to ask something there and I forgot what it was. Oh well, okay. I want to back up a little bit here. Uh, you're 
when we first were contacted about you, it uh, said that you had worked for many years as a uh, how they were, as a campaign manager and on presidential campaigns through the years. That is quite a difference between that and jumping into making wine. Uh, I, it <laughs> the transition seems odd to me. Now, it, it, it was a, it was a big transition. Well, I, mean, I, I worked I worked on presidential campaigns between ninety uh, two and, and and two thousand and two thousand four. Um, loved the loved the work. Feel like it was it was very important. But you know, I, I can tell you on 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 both sides of uh, of the aisle over the last few years, if I hadn't gotten out. Um, it certainly would would lead me to would lead me to drink the, the political situation over the last few years. So um, oh, yeah. now, now it's uh, it seems it seems, I, it seems like I got out um, I, I got out just in time. Um, you know I, I think it, I mean politics at least um, when I was doing it and and uh, you know wasn't um, it, it was all it was always uh, you always wanted your candidate to win you always wanted. Um, uh, but you didn't. But you didn't necessarily want the other guy uh, to lose, and or, or or at least you all, you always felt like you, you you had the best interest of the uh, of the country, and and there was always um, um, on both sides. I think as I grew, I grew up in Washington D.C., so kind of got politics in my blood, and and growing mm-hmm. up with um, with people that that really were, were statesmen and and, and felt statesmen and stateswomen that that really had the good of the country in in, in mind, and and um, and I, I loved loved the work and and enjoyed it a, a great deal, but. Um, Boy, I'm, I'm I'm sure lucky that I that I made the transition over into wine. Yeah, oh, without question. I mean, the the, the volatile atmosphere of Washington D.C. seems like it would drive anybody crazy. Now, since you were in Washington D.C., and I'm gonna get off the subject of your uh, of what you do now, the vines, but I understand that. They would bring in wines from different wineries around the country for events in Washington D.C. Is that true? Yeah, they do. Well, they certainly did it in the in the White House and also in the in the House and Senate, and, uh, kind of like anywhere else in the world. I mean, that they they um, you know people like to try to try great wines. No, well, I always uh, I heard that they would always you know try to feature even small wineries from around the country and stuff like that, and so that's that's good to know that that wasn't just an idle rumor. It's true. That makes me feel better about that. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, oh, so okay. So back to to the vines. What does it cost? You you say you have uh, uh, fifteen hundred members or something like that. What does it cost? Uh, no, 1,500 acres, 185 uh, owners, to get into this. I mean, if someone wants to become part of the vines, what do they need to do? Well, there's two options. If, if someone wants to own uh, an actual piece of land, have, um, have a title to a piece of land that, that uh, we can farm on, on their behalf and make wines in Mendoza, um, then that is um, uh, starts at $100,000 per acre um, and goes down with, with with volume. And then for members of the, the Vines uh, Membership Club, our, our international uh, expansion where we make wine all over the world, um, that is similarly um, $100,000 um, initiation fee, and that enables you to make wine at, um, at all of our different sites, our, the eight sites we have today and, and our future sites. 
Okay, now you say able to make wine. Do you have to own a an acreage or a, a rows of grapes or something no. at all the locations? No, no. And on, on the club, you you once you're a member, that you you can make wine at, at any of the the sites around the world, whether it's Champagne or Montalcino, Priorat, Napa, etc. Oh, cool. So once you get your initial membership, then that gives you the freedom to do your blend anywhere then that you have vineyards. Yeah, and that's pretty t- – and mo- most people will, will rotate around. They might make a, a Brunello one year and then a, a Napa Cab the next and then maybe a Champagne and, and rotate it around. Oh, well, that's cool. And then is there other costs? I mean, you make a wine, do you then have to pay for bottling and corking and capsuling and labeling and – and uh, labor to put everything in the bottle and all that stuff, or is uh, how does that work? Yeah, all of the yeah. But the, uh, depending on the the region, it, it varies. But it's it's as low as um um six thousand dollars for um, a custom barrel of uh, of, a, of a really nice basic uh, riesling in the Mosul, um, um, and it and it ranges up from there. And that includes all of the, the you know, a custom label. So we work with our marketing department to create your own uh, a name for the wine and a custom label and custom capsule and all of those things, and and ship it out to your house. Mm. Now, I know the United States does, and a lot of countries do. You have to have labeling approved and stuff like that because of this concept that's yeah. not being sold to public. Do you have to get approval mm-hmm. for all that? Yes, we go through the TTB and get everything uh, approved. Oh, you, you uh, still do? Okay. Even though it is private use, you still have to get approval on that? Yes. Oh, wow. Wow, well, I didn't I was wondering, didn't think you would. Uh, the um, uh, Let's see. Uh, so the you end up doing a barrel... And that's what you get out of it, which is what approximately 25 cases. Uh, can you trade with people within the system? Like I made 25 cases of, say, a uh, Willamette Valley uh, Chardonnay, and I want to trade with someone in uh, uh, the Moselle for some of their wine. Part of the system also. Yeah, many of our um, of our members will trade some of their their wines um, for for others, and and uh, especially in the, in the early going when they may only have wines from one or two different regions. Um, I think over time, well, uh, most people will make wine at lots at all the regions, so they'll have their own wines from from everywhere. But between now and then, um, a lot of folks do do trade. And also, though, I guess when you trade, it's going to be their special blends, so it's not going to be duplicated uh it's that's that's going to be it i mean just you know whatever they have it's it's going to be the one time thing of the 25 approximately 25 cases so that's an interesting approach it's unique in the <laughs> unique in the world yeah yeah i know that just it really makes that uh for a uh uh a great concept on that uh the uh, uh now, if people are blending, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, understand all this, they say I own acreage in, well, Mendoza, and I want to make wine in Germany. 
I go there and I do the blends and all that myself? Or is there ways that you can circumvent having to travel over there and do it? Or uh, how does that work? Certainly, with, with with COVID, it's been it's been challenging to to travel over the last eighteen months or so. And so we we have we do um, often do virtual blends where we will send. Uh, the base wines to one of our members' homes and uh, do a, a Zoom call with the winemakers so that they simultaneously are tasting the, the base wines and they can blend together. Um, so it's certainly possible to do it, but a lot of the uh, the magic of, of creating the blend is is being there in, in the winery with uh, with the team and uh, tasting the wine together. And of course, the you know the dinners and lunches and uh, cultural activities, whether it's truffle hunting and uh, or a pasta class in in, in Italy, or um, you know, going um, crabbing in uh, in Oregon, or, or you know, hiking through through the mountains of the Andes in Mendoza. Um, so there's a lot to be said for for getting on the plane wow. and, and actually getting to know the land. And and you're also, uh, you know, so much of of a wine is um, of course not just the the liquid. It's the, it's the terroir in, in every sense of, of, of that word, of course, the soil and the water and the sun and, and all of that, but also um, it's the people and, and the place. And I think so much of the appreciation of wine um, comes from understanding the, um, the people who make it, um, the, the place it's made, um, and you understand why certain wines from certain regions um, are, are there, and you see why it matches with the food and, you know, the, a, a, a brilliant um, – you know, bright Albarino in in Spain uh, when you're having some shellfish is, is is fantastic, and then you're having a, a boar ragu in uh, in in Tuscany, and you understand why um, Sangiovese is such a good match for that. And, and uh, mm-hmm. that, I think that 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 cultural understanding and that that, that sense of place understanding is, is is a big part of uh, of what we try and um, give to our our members. Yeah, it sounds like a great concept now i was thinking too the uh the movement now in biodynamics and uh, uh you know sustainability and all that stuff is so big do these wineries go by any special concept or any special uh growing techniques that put them a well uh, do they use any of that stuff? <laughs> you know. uh, I mean, the, the truth is that um, these our, our winery partners, because we seek that out, but, but really almost all really, really high-end wines are, are made in a very organic, very sustainable. They may not um, subscribe to all of the, the biodynamic um, philosophies about when they prune and, and, and do some of those other things, but um, there, there, you know, it's a, it's a natural wine is a natural product, and it's, right. and it's growing. And, and if you are, and if you're out in your the vineyard, and you see the impact of of chemicals, and um, you could get some short term gain um, probably, but if, if you're in it for the long haul, and you, you know, most of our uh, of our folks have been doing it for for decades, if not generations. I mean, the the Drapiers have been growing wine in, in Champagne for for eight generations, and you know, when you look at wine as a very long term thing, it, it's crazy not to be uh, organic. So. Um, you know, we, we don't, we, they don't necessarily call it uh, organic, right? and, or, and many of them don't have it, you know, certified so that they've got a sticker on the back of their, 
of their label. But when you talk to them about it and you talk about how they farm, you know, they don't want any nasty chemicals that get in the middle of their wine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, you know, that's a very good point, too. And I think most wineries are that way. They try to keep it as clean as they possibly can. And I think a lot of times the organic certification is just a formality that they don't want to go through and don't want to mess with. And so they don't. And let's go with that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I think increasingly people will, will will do it. I mean, certainly consumers are, are changing things. And I, and I can tell you when I when I first went to, to Mendoza and we first started um, growing 16, 15 years ago, um, most of the, quote, organic wines, the ones that were certified, the ones that had on the label, were not that good. Um, and, were, and, and I think that part of it, you know, you had to kind of figure out, they were kind of, it was a novelty, not necessarily yeah. that it was that it was um, that it was quality. And, and over time, we realized that it's, that it's important. And the consumers are, are demanding. I mean, lots of people are um, are, are driving it. So you, I think you'll see more and more wineries uh, advertising the fact that they're they're doing it, um, even though they've been doing it for a while. I, and I think that's a very good point because a lot of them I've talked to wineries over the years and I ask them if they are certified organic or if they do any of that and they say well actually we do but the the certification process is rather difficult and time consuming in itself and so they don't do it but yet everything is there that they need to become certified as organic or any number of other certifications so a good point uh, the uh, membership. You you mentioned a lot of stuff that they do there. Is uh, that an ongoing thing? I mean, these uh, uh, the hikes and the the trails and the dinners and uh, all that stuff. Is that all expanding all the time and all part of the uh, basic membership? Yeah. So every year we're at each of our partner sites at least once and and oftentimes twice a year. And so we'll go. And as, as a group, um, and typically we'll have about 20 or 25 of our of our members go to um, to the Mosul or to Napa for for three or four days um, of uh, tastings and dinners and blendings and hikes and, and the like. So those are kind of the the, the formal organized um, pieces of this. But sometimes the the travel schedule of our members doesn't match that. And so if they want to go to uh, to Champagne or to Mendoza and blend uh, on their own, then, then that's a possibility. We arrange that as well. And then we also host a lot of um, other tastings um, throughout the, the U.S. and in Europe in, in major cities where we can get where people can come and get together and, and drink wine and, and spend some time with, with the other members. One of the things that we realize is that why, while the actual blending of the wine and, and that, that, that cultural experience, the curated experience when we go to those places is really important, um, the community has become um, really valuable part of the of the program for for many members, and they've developed friendships. and And so, when we get together, uh, they may have met on a trip to uh, to Priorat in in Spain, but but then um, when we do a tasting in in New York or Chicago, they're able to get together and and connect and and share and trade some wines. Um, so it's a nice way to keep the keep that uh, that connection going all year long. Oh, it sounds great. What where are most of your members from? I mean, is the United States, the majority of them are. Uh, is it uh, Argentina? Where? No, the majority are from the from the the U.S. Um, but we've got a good number in in Europe and and um, uh, also Brazil is a, is a good market for us. Oh, well, that's it. Hmm. Brazil. 
I don't know why that surprises me. It shouldn't, but it, it does. Uh, another thing I was going to ask, what about you? Do you have certifications, uh, anything? That, have you pursued that? Obviously, you're knowledgeable, but have you pursued the testing to become anything else, uh, sommelier testing or any of that stuff? No, I haven't. I don't have any um, any formal wine um, education. My my education is is by um, by doing and by um, you know I, I make um, let's see I made nine wines in in Mendoza last year. I've made uh, I made also, excuse me also made uh, a Brunello and a Napa Cab and a Pinot Noir in in Willamette and a, and a Riesling. So I'm I'm making wine all over the world and learning from uh, learning from the, the masters. So it's uh, like like our members. Um, it's a uh, it's, it's learning by doing. And I and I, yeah. I think that's true for for many you know many many winemakers. I mean there there are oh. certainly many that have gone. You know the newer generations have 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 gone to schools, but especially some of the you know the older generations they didn't go to enology school. They learned by 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 trial and error and learning from their um, their, their their parents or their you know somebody else that, that taught them. And that's just the way I learned too. I don't have you know any form of education. It's just by doing and you know, very good mentors and stuff like that. So I understand that completely. I think that's a great way to do it. Uh, do you, uh, uh, oh, there's something else. Oh, geez, you, we start talking and I start thinking about other stuff and I forget my my question in there. Um, uh, okay, so uh, Mike, do you have any, uh, any uh, comments or questions or anything for Michael here? Not at this time. Uh, just enjoying the show and uh, taking notes as usual. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. No. Um, so, if someone, well, if someone wants to get a hold of you, someone wants to become part of the vines. What is the steps that they take? Who who do they contact? How do they contact you? And and what is uh, required of them? Well, a great place to start is is our website, which is um, the uh, hyphen vines dot com, the dash vines dot uh, com. Um, you can also reach me at um, at Michael at um, the dash vines dot um, com. Uh, typically, for for people that are interested, um, we uh, we do a phone call and talk to them a little bit about um, the membership and how it works, and 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 really, it's for us to get a sense of. Of what are the type of wines that they like, and what are the type of wines they typically drink? What 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 kind of wine that might they drink on a special occasion? Are they are they more uh, Burgundy or Bordeaux? Are they Napa? You know where, where do their 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 passions and 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 tastes lie? Um, and then for people that that want to know a little more, um, oftentimes we'll put them in touch with uh, another member so they can get a uh, a member's perspective on on the oh. club and and the experiences and and uh and then we have a, 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 a oftentimes during these 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 trips we have we set aside a, a couple spots for people that are interested to actually go on one of these these trips and so in in uh in October well, in September we'll be going to Montalcino in October we'll be going to the Mosul and and Priorat and we've got um, a couple of spots at, at each of those where people will, um, uh, will guests will come and, and spend a weekend with the other members and with the winemakers, and have a really hands-on experience with, with the vines, and, and, and then they can can decide if it's something that's, um, that, that's worth taking the plunge or not for them. Oh, I see. Uh, do you, uh, 
Well, okay, so so guests can become part of it. If, you, if people want to join just the trip or stuff like that, they can without actually be happen to be a member. So that's that's good. Uh, the dash vine, you say, is the uh, website. Yeah, the dash vine, V I N E S. Okay. Um, okay, there we go. Uh, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's an exciting concept. I really was quite uh, surprised when I first received the email and, and started to read through this. I thought this was a wonderful idea and uh, I wish the best of luck to you. Any closing comments or anything you'd like to share with us? No, I just think that um, you know the, the, the wine world's a, 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 big, a big world and, and um, I think that, that you know, it's very easy to kind of get stuck in and drink the stuff that we like or the stuff that we've always been drinking. And so I just urge people to get out and, and, and try something new and, and, uh, and, and push yourself a little bit. There's always another great region or a great wine out there to, um, to, to find. And, and, and you'd be shocked by the, the ability of actually making wine to improve your wine education and your wine appreciation. Oh. Because once you understand all of the steps that go into the wine making, then that next glass and every glass you drink after that really becomes all the all the more richer. So um, if you're even a little bit curious about it, um, give us give us a call and 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 come visit us in in Argentina or or in in Europe or in the states and and uh, we'll drink some wine together and and uh, and have a good time. I noticed one other thing too. I remember one question I was going to ask on this list here. Uh, are most of the wines red wines, or do you have a, an equal share of whites that are being made? We have uh, more reds than whites, but we, of course, uh, champagne and, uh, in, in, and Riesling in, in the Mosul, and we make uh, a, a beautiful Vino Bianchi in, in Italy, uh, some Chardonnay up in, uh, in, in, uh, in Willamette, um, and there's um, some really nice um, whites, uh, kind of Rhone blend whites in, in Argentina, along with some, some Sauvignon Blanc and, and Tarantes. So it's, it, generally, it's probably 70% uh, and reds, but there's certainly plenty of white opportunities for people that, for people that love white wines. Oh, yeah, because there's some beautiful white wines out there. And I was just, you know, I was looking at the list of the countries, and it tends toward red a little bit more, and that's what I was wondering. So... Michael, thank you so much for taking your time tonight and joining us. It is a great concept. I hope people out there will get in touch with you and uh, pursue Real this. Pleasure. They, you know, it's a, it, it's a great thing. And best of luck and and go out there and find some more places that uh, you can add to your winemaking partners. And maybe in a couple of years we can talk again and you can tell us all the new ones that you have. Will do. That'd be great. You thank, thanks a lot, and, uh, and you take care, and, and, and we'll talk and hopefully get to uh, share a glass soon. And that sounds real good to me. Thank you very much for taking your time tonight. All right. Thanks a lot. You take care. Uh-huh. Have a good evening. All right. The-vine.com. So check yeah. it out. A lot of good information okay. on there. Thevines.com. T-H-E-V-I-N-E-S dot com. And there it is, thevines.com. Oh, great. Uh, and 
interesting all, concept. All sorts of stuff. Uh, who we are, the idea, regions, winemaking, experience, culture, sustainability is even on the website. Champagne, Mendoza, Montesino, Napa, Perot, Moselle, Willamette. Oh, everything's on here. So, fantastic. So, if anyone's interested, there is, again, go to the vines with the dash between theinvines.com. And it will pop right up with uh, great pictures and information and everything else. So, yeah. well, fantastic. Okay. Um, interesting concept. Um, so, thank you, Michael, for being with us tonight. We do appreciate it, and uh, best of luck. That'll be fun. I'll, I'll make a note of this, and maybe in a couple of years we can – <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe in a couple of years we can get him back on again and see what new partners they've added and what they've done at that time. But it's yeah. a great, great concept. Uh, all right, I have some news to pass on to you. We still got 20 minutes, and so that gives me time here to tell you a couple things. I was going to pass on some information last week to you. And we canceled the show because we had a storm go through, a lightning storm, which is a good thing I did because at about a quarter past the hour, the lightning hit around here and it kicked off our power and the computer went down and everything and it took me a little time to boot it back up and all that. So it's, yeah, we live in Florida, we have lightning. And so sometimes it is best to just go ahead and bite the bullet and just let it you know, do his thing because we can't fight it. Although Mike did tell me something we were talking before the show that lightning has caused toilets to explode, which I thought was, was just, wow. <laughs> you know, so uh, it, uh, I guess if the computer shuts down, <clears throat> excuse me, if the computer shuts down for a few minutes, that's not too bad. Much better, <laughs> much better than having the toilet explode. I thought I, I I was thinking when I when I first heard it because I heard it quite some time ago that you know the story was full of crap, but <laughs> oh, but uh, these, these are coming from news sources. I mean, you know, there's there's quite a few stories, and it all seems to be from 2019, and uh, so uh, August 8th, August 9th, and it was, one was from Florida. Maybe they all were, but I, you know, I just look at the headlines. Oh, Florida toilet explodes because lightning was down the street. Well, now what? Yeah, we were yeah. talking before the show. Was pretty, yeah. Like, what, now you can't go to the bathroom in a thunderstorm? Come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. Well, that would be horrible. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, oh, my yeah. gosh. You know. uh, what did I have? Uh, you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we, we can <laughs> – we can go on on this or not. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, so we had to had to shut it down last week. So I got I I have something I wanted to uh, tell you about here. Okay, I uh, told you that Murphy Good Winery was offering a fantastic job. And uh, you heard me mention it, I don't know, a couple months ago, I guess it was. It said uh, uh, the Hillsburg Estate was uh, offering a 
job that sounded too good to be true. It was a year-long apprenticeship at the winery, free accommodations in a vineyard-adjacent Victorian house, and a year's supply of wine. And the salary was $10,000 a month. And, you know, I mean, oh, my gosh. Uh, it said the uh, postings, the job posting went viral. Uh, and the people just went crazy on it. But Veronica Hebbard, H-E-B-B-A-R-D, and another woman beat out 7,000, 7,000 applicants for the job. And they... Uh, were the ones that uh, got it and said that the uh, two winners, uh, Veronica Hebert was from Florida. Yay for her. And a Lindsay Perry of Texas. Both of them are 28 years old and they never worked in the wine industry. And they just uh, got Instagram accounts and got focused on wine a little bit more during the pandemic. And they applied uh it says uh the uh, one thousand dollar a month in rent-free living in sonoma county it just seemed like too good to be true but the uh uh they are social media savvy and that helped them land this job um so it's uh they are it says it's sort of an alternative way of paying for influencer marketing uh, through the winery. And they said young drinkers should spend their time on social media and see a uh, posting like this with, you know, 7,000 applicants. It really is more than you can even guess would be a possibility to get the name out there and get the, get people to well, get people to notice you. They said that uh, uh, this, in parts of the campaign, it felt more like a reality TV competition than a hiring process, uh, the way that Murphy Good publicized flying 17 finalists to Hillsburg for a wine country weekend. And uh, they, uh, excuse me, uh, because as far as the publicity stunts goes, this has been very successful, they said. Um, the job campaign has made the brand a lot more visible and has led to stories all over uh, the wine industry and even on mainstream TV shows. Um, CNN carried an art, uh, a episode about it, and uh, Murphy Good has done uh, uh, other things that they've uh, uh, had it published out there in all sorts of different media accounts, and even YouTube has stuff, so you can look it up on YouTube if you're interested in seeing some of the finalists and some of the stuff that they did for this campaign. And it says that it's significant that both of the winners are women, a demographic that Murphy Good hasn't always appeared to be reaching out to as customers. It says much of its branding in the past seemed to have targeted men because of their advertising and postings about grilling, golf, tailgating, and especially uh, hashtag, hashtag wine like a man 
uh, campaign that they did. So it is settled. It's too late for you to join it. You can't do it now. They've already got their winners. Uh, the, uh, at $120,000 for the year, the salaries will be significantly higher than the average California winery worker who owns who earns only about forty thousand dollars annually. Um, but it's uh, the publicity that they got from this has far outweighed the uh, the, the cost that it's going to cost them. Is they, they, they can't can't really measure all the publicity that has uh, been generated from this. And they've done it before. They've done it in the past, but uh, I've never seen a follow-up on it like this. So this is a good thing. This is actually out of the San Francisco Chronicle, which is down the street, I suppose you can say, from Napa. And so it's a good uh, good thing. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, out that uh, Veronica from Florida is a uh, project controls specialist at Walt Disney Imagineering uh, in Orlando, Florida. Um, She's got a master of engineering MS, oh, M, master's of engineering, uh, engineering management uh, from Rochester, uh, bachelor of science uh, in industrial and systems engineering out of Rochester Institute of Technology also. So, yeah, quite a bit there. Um, But nothing in uh no there was what was this article here something else um she received scholarships to complete her uh what's the WSET we set i guess it is yeah. level 1 yeah. and 2 through oh, wine unify yep through wine unify and the roots fund in 2020 and 2021 oh. respectively um so she's looking to add her uh diverse voice to the uh, climate, uh, ever-changing climate uh, of the wine world. And, um, yeah, so they're, they're – I forgot what this was. Uh, P, PRnewswire.com has an article on both of them. Um, and let's see, I'm trying to find uh, Lindsay. What was that, Lindsay? Oh, Lindsay was – okay. Yeah. <laughs> would help if I'd read the name. Um, Lindsay uh, is uh, currently lives in Austin, Texas. She's the one that receives scholarships to complete her uh, level one and two. Sorry about that. Um, oh, okay. Veronica will be making her way to Sonoma by way of Orlando. Uh, currently works as an engineer. They don't say where it's from, but we found out because we're investigative reporters here at All About Yes, Wine. we are. And, uh, yes, we are. <laughs> um, but no, anything... Uh, Kind of trying to skim through this to uh, to have any kind of wine background, but uh, Lindsay Perry, uh, originally from Pennsylvania, uh, yes, she's the one who uh, did get uh, scholarships uh, to complete her level one and two uh, through oh. Wine Unifying and the Roots Fund in 2021. So got that uh, straight down. Uh, 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 yeah, it, it says here in the article that they. Uh, uh, no knowledge of wine at all. I didn't mention that she had already gotten level one and two hundred Winset uh, well, certification. Um, huh. Well, uh, I'm sorry, I was reading, yeah. and 
it's hard to talk about something yeah, else when you read. Live and unprepared, and it's like darn it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they. Uh, but it's. Uh, oh, it's a Hardy Wallace. It's Hardy Wallace. Hardy Wallace from Atlanta uses extra Delta Award models to fly into San Francisco to be first in line at the Help Wanted booth for Murphy Good in 2009. And it says, he puts a sample of some of her day wine. Okay, Murph, Hardy Wallace was the winner in 2019 uh, after winning the contest. Uh, he was a former wine blogger, and he started his own wine label, Dirty and Rowdy. So Hardy Wallace was the winner of 2019. Murphy Good's been doing this uh, for two or three years, I think. I think they skipped in 2020 because of COVID. Uh, 2020 mm-hmm. is like a non-year for the world. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. they, uh, but Harvey, Hardy Wallace, Hardy Wallace was the winner in 2019. So, And then a double winner in 2021, two, two girls. So, Interesting. So, you know, all of you people who, kept, you know, heard that and said, oh, okay, you should have applied because you never know. You could have been yeah. a winner. And so it's, it's just, a month. I know. Not bad. Not bad. Not hmm. bad. And get the apprentice. I mean, wine. You could take a month's pay and join the vine. And, uh, Start making one all over the world. That's all it takes. That's right. So let's see. I've got a couple of other things to talk about here before we are done. Yeah, we got eight minutes. I can squeeze in a little bit more news here. Um, Let's see. Let me look at my list here. Uh, And this is not what I wanted, I don't think. Uh, Grapes and herbicide drift. Uh, Sudden vine collapse. We talked about that once, and I will follow up more on that because that's that's something that could affect everybody anywhere if they don't find out what it is and what's causing it. Uh, it's uh, in California right now, but patches of vine just stop growing. Uh, they say it's not a single pathogen. It's just uh, a combination of stuff, and a section of vines just die. Uh, you know, get a, a group of grapevines that are next to each other or around each other and they they die so it's it's a something that is a little bit scary and a little bit uh you know don't know what what's going to happen with it and they don't know the cause of it they don't know the reason which is really one of the worst things about the whole thing so uh let me see what is this this is uh, okay, and uh, yeah, highlighted. 
know this. Let me see what this has to say because I highlighted it for a reason. Ah, the fires, the burning question uh, in uh, California. The fires are going crazy again. And they're saying that uh, the, uh, uh, well, what's the name of the current one? All I can think of is the glass fire, and that was last year. But this current one is approaching uh, the possibilities of being the biggest fire ever. It's now in second place, and it's approaching being the biggest fire ever in California. So far, it has avoided some major areas where there are vines, uh, although it has burned towns to the ground, but it's uh, not not affected vines directly, but the smoke in the air is something that is concerning everyone. Uh, the uh, smoke taint, when uh, the glass fire, that's what it is. Uh, smoke taint is something that is going to affect the grapevines because the smoke is just hanging in the air, uh, especially when the fires go over valleys and it just causes the smoke to hang over the valleys and it will affect the grapevines. And the sad thing, and we've talked about smoke taint, you really can't tell right away, although there are tests that are being done and they're finding out more and more about how to really test it to be sure that there's no uh, smoke taint in the grapevines, but it's they're backed up. The labs that are doing this are backed up. Uh, there's so many want to do it, and we're getting toward the time of year that hopefully uh, grapes are starting to form, and, and harvest season is getting close. Uh, Verizon has occurred, and it's usually about six weeks after Verizon that they start picking, and Verizon has occurred uh, all around Northern California now, slowly, but you're starting to see it pop up everywhere. And because of that, the grapes figure about six weeks after Verizon, they become ready to harvest, and the glass fire is still going through the areas and all that, not affecting the grape vines directly, but the grapes and the smoke. And so it's it's an issue. Um, last year, a lot of the buyers of grapes from the growers refused to buy them because of smoke taint, which cut back on the supply, which also cost the growers who count on those sales. It's just like a mushroom effect. And so the fire is not just something that's going to affect the area. You see the towns burn down and stuff like that, but it has a, a continuous effect on the grapevines and different things. Uh, the, uh, uh, let's see, uh, they talk about the glass fire here. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, that was the the other fire. But uh, there, it's uh, they said the Napa wine alone injects about thirty-four billion. That's with a B, thirty-four billion dollars into the U.S. economy, and so 
when you have microclimates and stuff that are being affected by these fires that starts dipping into that and that is scary stuff you know i mean really scary stuff and you know it, uh, it affects the cost of the areas too and it affects oh just the whole thing so anything that you can think that might be affected by these fires it probably will be it's just it's uh a scary thing out there with these fires. So that's what that is. Let's see. Uh, Supreme Court is being petitioned on wine shipping. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, California, uh, Sarasota actually, uh, Sarasota Wine Merchants is suing Missouri for their, well, uh, Smith is what the suit is. But Sarasota Wine Markets versus Smith, and it's that uh, that Florida cannot ship wines to Missouri customers, even though Missouri shops can ship wines to Florida and to Missouri customers. And so Sarasota Wine Merchants is suing, and it's supposed to be appearing before the Supreme Court, and uh, they're asked to be intervened. They it's yeah, the Supreme Court doesn't like to answer these questions, but they're going to have to on this one because uh, lower court ruled in favor of Missouri, and then Sarah said, wait a minute, that's not right because the Supreme Court just ruled that they can't do that. And so they're, uh, basically lower courts ignored the Supreme Court and uh, did whatever they wanted there. So now the Supreme Court has to rule again it's continuous stuff on this and you know just all exciting stuff all the time and see there's one other thing uh, oh okay yeah and this is again with uh, uh, smoke damage uh, northern California north coast wine grape smoke damage is heading to the courts. They're trying to figure out uh, a restraining order on selling wine and juice because they say it's smoke damage. And uh, the question is, I have a contract. They cannot refuse it because of my contract. They have to pay so much anyway. And so it's a... Uh, a dispute there of what's going to happen. Like I just mentioned, the implications to all the growers and then even to wineries, what are they going to do? I mean, if, if you make me buy this from you and it's painted with smoke, I can't sell it. And so, therefore, it starts becoming, yeah, problems. So, ongoing thing with the fires out there in California, it's even more ongoing, it seems like, year after year, and around other areas. It's not just California. It seems like the west side of the Rockies is burning up. It's, there's fires all over the place. I, I read somewhere there, there's 400 active fires as of, what's the Thursday, as of Tuesday, I read that there are over 400 active fires in the western United States. Oh, boy. I mean, it's just, whoa. Okay. So, 
uh, that's it. I uh, it's it's eight o'clock. I was able to tell you some more stuff there. This is anything else? Uh, no, Kathy is changing a bunch of rules. Uh, so that's something we can look forward to. Counties getting a little bit more tighter on their rules and their what they can uh, what they can call county. And I think I mentioned too that Russia put a clamp on champagne. The name champagne. Russia says you can't ship anything into this country with the name champagne. And Champagne is saying, wait a minute, that's our name. And they're saying, nope, we use it here in Russia and we can't ship anything. you got to stay sparkling wine. So that is another thing that the international courts are looking at. Uh, and they're saying probably Russia's going to win because they're within their own country and all that. So that's something else that's going on to informed on that as news comes through the wires. So. There we go for this week. I did look up the uh, California wildfires. Uh, the Dixie Fire is the second largest fire in state history with over 463,000 acres uh, that have burned. Uh, it ignited on July 13th. The number one spot goes over to the August Complex Fire uh, that consumed more than 1 million acres in 2020 and that's the uh, number one uh spot so they're kind of ranking their wildfires even though there's so many of them out there yeah. uh the dixie, the dixie fire is the second largest that you were talking about um and it started it started recently july 13th wow um, yeah it's just yeah. and there it's only like what i think 40 percent uh contained I, I last i read it was it's less than 50 percent contained so it still has a chance to burn a lot more as of august the 8th they have 21 uh, percent contained according yeah, to cal fire and today's the 19th I, I i read i don't know monday i think yeah. it was under tuesday that it was like 40 42 percent contained so yeah. it still still has a lot to go before they get that under control and that's going to be burning more so it's uh, it's serious stuff out there. I just mm-hmm. hope it stays away from towns and all that. It's just it's burned towns to the ground. It just goes through and just yeah. and that's it. There's nothing you can do to stop it either. It's, and if they just start cleaning out the brush and all that and doing controlled burns, but they don't anymore. I I waxed poetic about that a couple of weeks ago, and and but it's true. They need to do controlled burns and start cleaning up the underbrush and all that. But as long as the firefighters are going to be fighting the real fires almost year-round now, we are sad to say, then they're not going to be cleaning up that underbrush. And So, all right. I live in California. It's sad to see stuff like this happen. It really is. It's it's sad to see an area that was all green and lush and everything, and then you go and look at it three months later, and it's burnt to the ground. There's nothing left but just burnt tree trunks and stuff. So, it almost looks like a planet or something, someplace we haven't, you know, been to, some kind of planet out there that, you know, you can just imagine what the landscape would look like. I don't know. It's just odd. Um, You're right. Exactly. 
Um, yeah. um, so August uh, twenty sixth. August twenty sixth will be our next show. That's uh, Thursday, the twenty sixth at seven p.m. Eastern time in the U.S. Uh, it's eight oh seven now. We'll go ahead and close the show. Thank you all we for tuning to- in. We want to thank Michael one more time for taking the time out and joining us on the show tonight. If you all want to check him out, go to the-vine.com. Very simple, very easy website. So, and check that out. The Vine. The Vine. Oh, oh yeah. One, not S, just The Vine. Okay. So. Nope, add the S. Okay, we'll get it. We'll get it. Sorry about that. We'll get it right. <laughs> All right. Uh, go ahead and uh, head out. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks again. And have a great Thanks week. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Be safe. See you next week. Yeah. Next week. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Remove. Go to the- With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.